shamelessness, which is, I think, kind of what you just described, is, is this sense of where we try to control our shame through our sexuality. So instead of shame controlling our sexuality, we control shame through sexuality, which may not sound like that big of a difference, <laughs> but we're using our sexuality to avoid the underlying work that we haven't done. Hi. My name is Isaac Archuleta, founder and CEO of I Am Clinic, an outpatient psychotherapy practice in Denver, Colorado. Welcome to Queer Relationships, a podcast devoted to helping you create the love lives and relationships you crave. In today's episode, I sit down with Matthias Roberts, a counselor from the state of Washington and host of the podcast Queerology. In this episode, we discuss shame, sex, and the ways that it affects our lives, as well as Matthias's new book, Beyond Shame, Creating a Healthy Sex Life on Your Own Terms. This podcast was recorded before its release. Let's dive into our conversation. Hope you enjoy. I'll start by talking a little bit about the book. Like it's, so it's called Beyond Shame, Creating a Healthy Sex Life on Your Own Terms. Um, and as for those of us who grew up with a kind of more evangelical Christian um, places of learning about sexuality um, or quote unquote purity culture, as a lot of people call it now, um, that, that kind of like sex must happen in a heteronormative context um, after marriage. Um, and then kind of the idea that if it doesn't happen within that context, then you are impure. Um, and the amount of shame that has then subsequently kind of come out of those teachings that many of us are still working through today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the book essentially is how do we work with the sexual shame that we've been given? Um, how do we kind of work with the lies that we were told around sex and sexuality? Um, and then how do we kind of construct a more expansive, grounded, uh, healthy sexual ethic moving mm. forward? In my kind of clinical experience, I think that a lot of people who have shame don't know that they are operating out of shame. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. That can sound a little um, condescending or maybe a little belittling, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think as a clinician, it's easy to hear places where people feel so hungry and almost like the pseudo confidence that Mm. what I'm, what I'm doing sexually is actually what I want, but there's this undertone of pain or sorrow or loneliness. Mm -hmm. So for those of us who would pick up your book, if we could kind of have a little snapshot of what shame might look like in our lives, Mm -hmm. particularly this type of um, branded shame by the Christian church, if you will, what, what does that look like in the day-to-day life of a a queer person? Yeah. So I, I mean, literally what you just described, like that kind of sense of kind of like, I mean, we're, I mean, you, you're speaking as kind of clinician as a clinician of, of where you're, you're watching a client kind of saying like, I, I'm, I know I'm operating out of my values, but you kind of have your, your gut check of like, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. so sure, but I, <laughs> right. like I, I have kind of a whole chapter on that. Um, it, it is, so, so the first part of the book is, are the, the three ways that I believe that we cope with, with sexual shame. Mm. Um, 
in those three ways I, I've, I've termed them. There's um, shamefulness, shamelessness, uh, and autopilot. Um, and, and, and shamefulness is this kind of this sense of we're so full of shame that anything sexual, we hide. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, um, try to control our sexuality, um, because of the shame. Um, the second one, shamelessness, which is, I think kind of what you just described is, is a sense of where we try to control our shame through our sexuality. So instead of mm-hmm. shame controlling our sexuality, we control shame through sexuality, um, which may not sound like that big of a difference, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we're using our sexuality to avoid the underlying work that we haven't mm. done. Um, so it's almost like we're medicating shame with right. sex. Yes. Yeah. Got it. It's, it's a coping mechanism. Okay. Um, so our actions may actually align with the values that we want to have as sexual beings. Like there may not actually be, we may not be way off of that. Um, but I'm really interested in when what's what's the function like what are we doing to ourselves in the process um and if we're if we're avoiding working with our shame by continually kind of using this rally cry of I am a liberated sexual being um that's not actually sexual health um yeah we're not working from a place of actual grounding uh in in our values um yeah, and then since, since I mentioned it, the, the third piece is autopilot, which is basically just like we don't really know what we're doing. We're just <laughs> we're just mm-hmm. moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the second one that you're, I think you're touching on, is huge. I think especially within the, within the queer community. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, I th- I believe in it so much because in the concept, I guess, or the process of it, because I definitely found myself there mm-hmm. for decades. You know, just. Um, seeing myself almost use sex as a way to buy affirmation, to feel purposeful that if a trophy guy wanted me, then it meant if he wanted me sexually, then it meant I was actually valuable on some layer mm-hmm. of existence and totally just using sex as this elixir mm-hmm. to kind of help me feel just valuable or desired or wanted like some of these basic things that a a human just they're they're like cornerstones of someone's identity, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely get that. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it, it's, it's a trap that's really easy to fall into. And, and I mean, I, I, I deeply think that it's, that just because it's a coping mechanism doesn't mean that it's necessarily a negative thing. Like Mm -hmm. it may not be our full potential for health, but I do think there are phases, phases or places, positions, whatever we kind of want to call it, that we have to sit in for a while, even to get to know ourselves in those areas and then know what we have to work on Mm -hmm. um, in order to kind of continually move closer to operating out of that sense of no 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 like i i am loved i am worthy i am operating out of uh, a sense of groundedness instead of a, a need to be kind of um poured into by someone else if, yeah if that makes sense yeah. if you could kind of give a before and after snapshot before the work and after the work around shame 
what does it feel like before? And then what, what is the experience thereafter? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I mean, one, one of the de- definitions of shame that I, that I really like, cause there, there are kind of many out there. Um, but, it, but it's this idea of what shame actually does to our, to us, um, how we respond to shame. And, and, um, one of those things that we do is it makes us turn away. Um, shame kind of automatically makes us want to hide ourselves. Mm. Um, we oftentimes when people are in shame, they, they can't make eye contact with someone or, or they like physically look towards an exit or they like kind of turn in on themselves and their bodies. Um, and, and it works that way relationally as well. Um, both interpersonally with other people, but also relationally within our own selves. Mm. Um, we turn away from our own selves. Totally. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the before that sense of was a yearning for a connection, but not feeling worthy of it. Um, and then either turning on our own selves or turning on other people because of that sense of, of unworthiness. Um, I, the, the, um, I'm not good enough. Um, nobody wants me. Um, those kinds of messages. Yeah. Um, the, the after, um, and, and I don't necessarily see after as a position that we necessarily arrive at. (laughs) Like, I, I don't know that shame is one of those things where we like, we move, like all of a sudden we're in a shame free life. Like, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that happens. Um, but it is a sense of then knowing how to, to work with ourselves, of, mm-hmm. of knowing what our values are, knowing how to, when we are turning away from ourselves or turning away from other people, excuse me, um, knowing how to then recognize that and, mm-hmm. and then give ourselves the kind of, we have the tools then to, to re-engage, to, to rework with people and, and to enter into our relationships, sexual or otherwise, um, with a sense of, of confidence, groundedness, mm-hmm. um, enjoyment. <laughs> we don't have those shame voices kind of lurking in the background, um, telling us that we're, we're fucking it up. Yeah. Almost like we don't have the pain that we need to medicate anymore or right. we can acknowledge the pain and handle it and interact with it differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, I, I'm curious cause I, I mean, you're a clinician, like what I, I kind of want to ask you that same question. <laughs> sure. The before and after. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I notice with my clients a lot when there's, shame in any area of their life, particularly around sexuality, it feels to me very compulsive. Mm. Like they can't stop thinking about the whoosh, the euphoria, the the, the payoff and the, the grandiosity of how good it's going to feel. Right. Um, when, we're, when we're living in shame, it even feels um, almost like or whole i'm just kind of using my own personal story but yeah. i do see it in the lives of my clients <clears throat> excuse me um but it's like this duality in one sense it feels so good but then in another sense i call it the fallen trifecta so this whoosh of gratification just feels so good and then afterwards i feel valueless almost like that shame voice you're talking about says look what i just did no one's going to want me right. and then we feel powerless 
I told myself I would never, ever do that again. And I just did it, you know, and because of what I did and because I cannot trust myself, I shouldn't expect my ideal to actually manifest itself. That mm-hmm. love life or that sex life where the the feeling that sex could be free and liberating or emotional and connecting or just even fun without feeling dirty right. is never going to be my experience. Right. And I think right. that that, uh, it just it just kind of creates this circular it creates the cycle of saying like exactly what you're saying here Matthias like i don't deserve this really beautiful thing so i'm going to hide it from people mm-hmm. um but then i'm going to create this fantasy of how good it's going to feel and then i'll do it and then it's going to hurt so then i'll shut down and this pain will grow right. i shouldn't show it to anybody but then I fantasize about it and we kind of just go in the circle over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I think even in my own experience, like I've done a lot of work, um, years of therapy, years of EMDR, like researching shame and what it feels like and what it tells me. And I think when I'm in those moments of not feeling the shame wrapped around my sexuality, it feels, this might sound like a really weird word, a weird word to use, but it would definitely be sacred. Mm-hmm. Like, it just feels like, I think about this often, so just maybe roll with me. I'm talking a lot, Great. sorry, but. <laughs> no, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I always think about myself as like a child, a son to the divine. And instead of saying, I need to hide in the bush and create clothes out of leaves, how do I show up right in front of you just as I am? And what do you think about me when I do that and how I show up? And even carrying that kind of timbre into my sexuality, saying like, that felt so good. And you're probably really happy for me right now, because this is how you created my body. And it doesn't make me valueless. This is actually a gift that embellishes, expands, and augments my reality and my relational life, not something I have to hide. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. How do you record? What are maybe some of the mechanisms? What is the anatomy of a healthy sexual ethic that people can start playing around with? What do they, what do they need to touch so that they can, you know, start moving around so they can kind of create their own ethic? Right. Yeah. So, so I approach it in, in terms of paradoxes. Um, Cause, cause I really wanted to kind of come to this question of when we talk about sexual ethics, Oftentimes we kind of have this idea of, of a sexual ethic being like rules, being, <laughs> being, mm-hmm. this is what's okay. This is what's not okay. Um, and it's a super black or white thing that and we can then measure our goodness based off of. Um, and, and, and I don't, I don't buy that. Um, that's, that's really not the way I think we're, we're wired to exist in the world. Um, I don't think that's the way, I mean, if we talk about the divine, if we talk about God, like, I don't think that's what. God wants for us um, this kind of moralistic black and white categories. Um, 
And so as I really approached this question of how do we move towards a healthy sexual ethic and then what even is a healthy sexual ethic with this idea of it may look different for, for different people. Um, it's like, I, it, it confounded me for quite a while. Um, I was trying to figure it out for myself too. Sure. But I, I started realizing like there are things about sex and sexuality um, that are deeply paradoxical, but that are true. Um, and, and so I kind of like spent a lot of time um, when I was kind of researching for this book, trying to figure out like what are truths in sexuality that seem almost contradictory to each other, but have to kind of both exist at once. Um, and I really believe that as we then navigate these paradoxes and really kind of try to figure out where do we sit within them, um, mm -hmm. that that starts giving us a path forward into how we treat ourselves, how we treat other people, what our values are, which then grows into an ethic. Um, and, and so some of those paradoxes are like the, the very real reality that health, that, that sex is both incredibly healthy um, and incredibly risky. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so what do we do with that? Um, and, and, and those are things that we have to be able to navigate both the, the deep health benefits and, and the risks um, that, that come with having sex. Um, another one is, um, um, that, that, that we can use sex to embrace vulnerability. We can also use it to avoid vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Um, and we can do both at the same time. Um, that is so true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so how do we make those choices of, of being aware of ourselves and our drives and our, our desires around why am I having sex? If I'm using it to avoid vulnerability, what vulnerability am I avoiding? Mm. Is that worth it? Or does that go against who I want to be as a person in the world? Um, I, I think bringing awareness to these things um, really does help us chart that kind of uncharted territory of, yeah. of what a healthy sexual ethic is. Um, yeah. Totally. There, I, I once had this client and we were doing some really great work around like shame and sex. And um, we kind of got to this place where, and I, it was kind of a jaw dropping moment in my career, but I don't, it probably shouldn't have been. Mm. It's probably my naivete, but it was this moment where he was saying, I didn't know sex could be emotional. Mm. And it, it kind of surprised me like, Oh my goodness. So we spent all this time talking, but I would maybe classify him as one of those people who was using sex to avoid vulnerability rather than share in that deep emotional kind of intimacy. Right. Totally. Mm -hmm. What I mean, might be, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I mean, it's, it's easy to do. Mm -hmm. oh, for sure. <laughs> like it's, it's not hard to, right. to use sex as a way to avoid actually getting to those feelings that we may not want to deal with at the time. Mm -hmm. And, I don't think there's necessarily anything inherently wrong in that as long as we're aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, to honor the fact that like sex, there's a time for it to be playful and there's a time for it to be emotionally intimate and vulnerable. And then there's a time for thrill or, you know, that, mm -hmm. <laughs> that right. it's not just this one path it has to follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
Hmm. I can't wait to read this book. (laughs) (laughs) I am so excited for people to get their hands on Matthias's new book, Beyond Shame. I hold Matthias with such a high regard. He has one of the most gentle hearts and one of the most brilliant minds. I guarantee that his book will not be an upset. If you're thinking about your sex life, your sexual ethic, or even just the way that shame around sex impacts kind of your day-to-day life. This book is totally perfect for you. And now, back to the show. Is there something else about the book that you're just like, it's just burning a hole in your heart, like you just gotta talk about it? I mean, besides the whole thing. (laughs) Right, right. You know, I, 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 I wrote the book. I mean, not only for for my own self to kind of explore these things within my own life, um, but also with just the very real hope that it it might bring us a little bit further along as we mm-hmm. try to navigate these things. Um, I mean, it, it's being marketed to a general audience, but I, I, I wrote it in such a way that I like I had. <laughs> my my queer siblings in mind throughout the entire thing because I think these are questions that that we're wrestling with in a way um, and shame especially sexual shame things that we're wrestling with in ways that um, maybe are a little bit more intense than um, a, maybe a general person reading the book um, and and so I think like that that burning desire is simply to kind of be like we can talk about this and we can find health. Um, I deeply believe it's possible. Um, and, and I hope that that's, that's all work that we can continue to do together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I resonate with you in that. It's almost as though we, we've come so far politically, you know, and socially, culturally, we have obviously the ability to marry and, queer love and sex is more commonplace and and seen as a normal biological variant in many ways. Mm -hmm. But there's still kind of this unresolved tension that I think we carry internally that still has yet to captivate our attention and really put our effort to work, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, Yeah. that that idea of, of thriving. Yeah, um, totally. Kind of fulfilling, like actual fulfillment, um, not just existing, but but finding a, a thriving, good, deeply good life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe our, our sex lives are a microcosm of our of our broader lives. So as we work with our sexual shame, we work with our shame everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, leads to thriving everywhere, not mm-hmm. just in the quote unquote bedroom. Yeah. Dr. Tina, a dear friend of mine, she would say that um, shame around sex is the first experience of shame that we have. Yeah. And so it it literally becomes in some ways the cornerstone of this mountain of shame. Right. Um, and so I think she would resonate with you that when we start to unwind and, and work through the sexual shame, we're kind of shaking the whole shame mountain up, totally. allowing it to crumble all the more easily you know 
uh, is that Tina Shermer Sellers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wrote the foreword to the book. <laughs> Did she really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, she's <laughs> such a sweetheart. She's amazing. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you two guys yeah. are just rock stars. Uh, killing it I, out there. I adore her. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm, that's so good. I mean, it's so true. Um, exactly what you said. Like, like sexual shame is we shame affects us at the very core and our sexuality exists at the very core of who we are. So when those two things mix together, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of impact. Totally. Yeah. You know, I remember, yeah, I, so I used to be an adjunct professor. I taught master's level um, counselors, <clears throat> excuse me. And the class that I taught was sexuality and counseling. Mm-hmm. And I was in this like really fun season of my career was right out the gate. And I was doing all of this research on shame and I put together these incredible PowerPoint slides, or at least I thought they were. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I taught this class and I was like, Oh my gosh, it feels so good to like not have shame. And then for like years I was waking up saying like, why do I feel so invisible why does it feel like it's not my time yet like god is against me like the universe is against me and literally matthias like two years later after i teach this course right i'm like oh my god this is shame Mm -hmm. like the shame wasn't this cognitive understanding it was more of this felt experience of just being less than inadequate you name it you know (laughs) and i think that uh, it's just such a sneaky little sucker, like the symbiotic relationship just kind of feeding off of us and we feed it back. And it's right. so sneaky, which is why I'm just so excited for me and everybody else to get our hands on your book. Um, so we can we can create and experience that thriving that you're talking about mm-hmm. um, because it's ours. It's ours to behold. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I honestly think, and I'm getting a little on my soapbox here, but I think that the queer community is here to teach other communities a lesson about unconditional love. Yeah. And right. I, I will take that to my grave. Um, yeah. 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 I think, I think that's so true. Hmm. So if I could maybe just, shift our focus a little bit and yeah. talk a little bit about you. Mm. Um, how was it for you to write this book from kind of a, from an emotional perspective? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, it was hard. Um, I mean, so there's this fantasy about writing a book, right? Like mm-hmm. of, of what it's like. Um and 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 I feel like I, I I've watched enough of my friends write books to kind of realize like it is just a fantasy, but it, I wasn't prepared for the actual reality of of what it costs um, to actually kind of sit and and pour out into existence something that hasn't existed before. Um, and and I don't say that to sound grandiose um <laughs> but it's but i think you like, should own it because it is yeah right i mean it's, it's a it's a massive amount of work and then to write a book about 
shame and sexuality, like it, it just brought into such stark focus, like the areas where I need to work and, and where I need, like I, I would write something and then like stare at my screen and be like, okay, I, I believe what I just wrote. Um, but am I there yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> For and sure. oftentimes the answer was no, mm-hmm. like, Hey, and, and so then to have to like to work with my own therapist and and to have experiences pop up as I'm writing that I'm like oh my gosh this gives me a whole new perspective on something that I wrote like three chapters ago and I have to go back and like <laughs> rework it and and um so, so like this mixture of of so much fun a ton of excitement a ton of exhaustion um and then just like a, a massive amount of just effort mm-hmm. um I, I think that that kind of captures the emotions <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you know I'd, I'd love the idea of um i just think of the, the world of you but i i just love how i i want to say um i don't want to say this non-hypocritical like you do the work mm. you know and it's this idea that your vulnerability has always been just this bright light that paves the way for other people to see their own vulnerability, the permission to show up just the way they are because you're courageous enough to do it first. Mm. Mm. And I think that's so, I'm definitely, um, I'm sure that just comes through in the book. Mm. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I, I hope so. I mean, I think that's true. And I think what you're saying is things that I'm trying to live into, like both of those things, like, Mm -hmm. like, yes. And I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Who are some of your muses who inspire you? You know, right now, because I think these things change. (laughs) Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you caught me off guard. I no, I'm trying to think through like who who are the people that I'm like. Yeah, so a, a couple people, um, and, and these are people who are like in my daily life, um, people who I deeply value and respect, and I think are kind of um, the people that I aspire to be. Like um, one of those is my pastor, mm-hmm. um, which I mean I. I'm fairly new to this church that I'm going to. I'm, I'm just kind of returning to church, but the way that she has um, kind of showed up for me and, and have, has created a space um, fully acknowledging like how traumatic it is for a queer person to come back to a faith based community. Mm-hmm. Um, she isn't, she has, I mean, I, I deeply value and respect her. Um, I, I don't know if these are necessarily muses, <laughs> but um, yeah, and and, and I, I um, I've studied under um, Dr. Dan Allender for years now, um, probably six six years, uh, and which is such he, a treat. Like, yes. hello, <laughs> yeah, like he. I mean, he he's someone who has spent his entire career. Um, working with sexuality um, and sexual trauma, um, and and he's someone like even though he he is much more conservative than I am, um, the way that he embodies his work um, 
but then also like just the the vast amount of kindness that he has um he's he is definitely a muse i mean his hands are kind of all over this mm-hmm. book i mean so much of what i've learned about sex and sexuality has come through him um awesome and i put my own twists on it but it made it more queer friendly mm-hmm. <laughs> but um but dan allender is someone who um i, I deeply deeply respect uh, in this work awesome yeah so one last question if yeah. if there was the let's say 11 year old matthias who was just discovering the effects of puberty in his body mm-hmm. and if you could wish him well on his journey mm-hmm. and maybe give him some tips to avoid the shame mm-hmm. what might you tell him mm-hmm. Because you know, I, I mean, in the moment you said that, the the actual eleven year old Matthias kind of popped into mind, mm-hmm. um, and and I think the very real reality that much of the shame that he experienced, that I experienced, um, was external, um, and and knowing like there are very few things we can do when we're experiencing shaming uh, from other people. Um, we we can work with our own selves, but it's hard when we're so knee deep in that world mm-hmm. um, and he was so knee deep in that world. So I, I would want to say to him, like, like you, you are okay. Um, the things that you're experiencing are very normal, even though you're being told they're not. Mm. Um, there is a way forward that is healthy and good. Um, and I think I would want to tell him about it, about what that is, but I don't think he'd be able to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so basically that, that sense of like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You're going to be okay. Um, and you're still loved. Mm-hmm. You're still deeply loved. Yeah. He sounds like a sweet kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Very scared. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. So grateful, Isaac. Yeah. This has been wonderful. As a 20 something, I remember explosions and fireworks going off inside of my stomach and my chest when I began experimenting sexually with people of the same gender. I couldn't imagine that something so explosive, so rewarding could be firing in my body. It was such a treat. And the moment that the sex was over, I felt so crushed with guilt and shame. Just this wash within my body that says, Isaac, what did you just do? Look at how dirty that was. And It's very sad, but I think that that experience is far too common for many of us in the LGBTQ community. Not all of us, but for many of us. And I think Matthias was right. For a lot of us, we can use sex to medicate the pain of the perceived inadequacies we carry around. The pain that says, 
Isaac, you're not en- enough unless some trophy guy like that hot guy at the bar wants to sleep with you, or you're not desirable enough if no one wants to sleep with you. So having someone interested in me sexually was almost a, a form of validation that was speaking to my inadequacies rather than to my true value. And I was using sex to bolster my self-esteem, which inherently isn't self-esteem at all. It's what we would call other esteem. In this light, I think it's so easy for us to use hookup culture and apps like Grindr or Scruff or Bumble, Tinder, whatever it might be, to be a form of validating medication rather than an apparatus of true connection. And don't get me wrong, sex doesn't have to be all about this emotionally fluffy, deep stuff. It can be fun and it should be fun and there could even be some spontaneity and thrill. Absolutely. But when we use sex and dating apps as a way of feeling more desired as a medication for who we are, I think we're kind of in some, I don't want to say slippery territory, but I do think that we're not fully aware of how precious and beautiful we are. And I think Matthias has some great thoughts around shame and how that process happens. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-sex in any way, but I am anti-using sex out of pain, not because I think in and of itself that's a bad practice, but because you deserve to know more about your beauty and about yourself. When we can live confidently in who we are, and we allow sex to embellish our sense of strength and beauty and confidence in the world, I think we're sitting pretty. Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.